back to Trennis Magnus, Jab's Reality, a podcast on vacation presented by Two True Freaks, just like always. I'm your host, Magnus, and you know, guys, I've actually been kind of enjoying the hiatus that Trennis Magnus Punches Reality has been on lately, mostly because the this deadline of releasing something every single week that I've been living with for over five years is just gone. Now, I was talking to somebody about this on the uh, Facebook group, actually. Somebody asked, you know, like, how this is going and all that. And actually, you know, I wasn't actually completely expecting expecting things to go this way. You know, that you can just enjoy your time, you know, because... I don't know if I ever came right out and, and said this before, but back when Trennis Magnus Punches Reality was coming out, like as a going concern, you know, my attitude, just because of, I don't know, like OCD or something, my attitude about it was, no time is downtime. You know? There's really not a day off. You know, everything that I do, every song that I listen to, every comic book that I read, every movie that I watch, you know, uh, every TV show that I binge on, you know, all of this stuff is or potentially could be fodder for discussion on my show. And, you know, it's not like anyone said that, you know, this is the way that things have to be, that you, Magnus, have to do things this way. But that's just sort of the routine that I fell into. And so moving away from that has actually been very relaxing. So anyway, but... I guess sort of in relation to that, you know, if you're a member of the Trennis Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group, you probably realized that over the course of this past week, I embarked upon a little bit of a, of a Halloween movie, I can't say marathon, but it's, I don't, like a series, I guess. You know, I was basically watching a, a, a Halloween movie almost every single day last week. Not quite every day, but almost every single day. And basically where I started with all of this is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Now, I hinted on the Facebook group that Halloween 4 actually plays very deeply into my uh, origin story when it comes to the Halloween movie series, right? This is actually a very important movie for me because of the fact that this was the first Halloween movie that I ever saw, right? And my memory of it was I was sitting in the kitchen at, you know, it was uh, Lubbock, Texas. I want to say it was 1980. In fact, it, I guess, would have had to have been 1989, you know, just by virtue of, you know, when this movie was released. But um, it was 1989 and sitting in the kitchen at uh, the house that we used to have in, in Lubbock. And the movie comes on uh, TV, right? Halloween 4. Well, I had never seen any of the Halloween movies before this. You know, well, I mean, I I had, okay? I, You know, it's like the instant I say that, I realize... Yes, I saw Halloween 3, but come on, guys, that that doesn't really count, does it? So anyway, so Halloween 4, as far as I'm concerned, that's my real gateway into the 
the Halloween movie series. And, you know, being as I was uh, nine, you know, I think this was probably the way to go for me because the protagonist of Halloween 4 is a girl played by Danielle Harris, who it turns out is just about the same age I am. I think, I don't actually know a whole lot about Danielle Harris, but I got the idea that she's like a year or two older than me, tops. And so, you know, here's a girl that, at least at the time that she made this movie, was just about the same age as me. You know, whether or not she and I are exactly the same age or not. Just about the same age as me. And I don't know why, but at least when I was a kid, that made the difference, you know? Because, you know how it is, anyone who's more than three or four years older than you are, they're old, you know? And so watching the original with Jamie Lee Curtis, I don't think would have been, I don't think that would have been the way to go, at least for me, as an introduction to this franchise. Now, whether that's right or whether that's wrong, that's just what I think, that's how I think things would have played out, you know, under other circumstances. So all of this is really a long way of saying that I kind of consider it to be a good thing that my first Halloween movie was Halloween 4, for all the reasons I've just outlined. And... You know, it's a, it's just, it's a lot of fun, uh, you know, kind of like a, not, maybe not a thrill a minute, but you know, this was definitely an, this was an intentional effort on somebody's part to kind of get back to what made the Halloween movie series great to begin with, you know? Now, that was the intent. In terms of the actual execution, you know, I sit here you know, as an adult, and I watch it, and I think that, you know, there are a lot of things that, you know, even with Halloween 4, there are a lot of things that maybe weren't as done as well as they could have been, you know, and there's also just, I guess, the the stylistic thing of the, the false jump scare, like, the thinking seems to be that it's okay to put a jump scare in a movie, it's whenever you put a false jump scare in a movie, that's that's really the sign of kind of hack filmmaking, right? You know, uh, you know, there's that loud like chainsaw kind of sound. Oops, it's just the cat coming in through, uh, coming in through the little door in the, uh, you know, in the kitchen, you know. And you know, there's a little bit of that in Halloween Four, and God knows, and you know, some of the subsequent movies. And you know, I I will say though that Halloween Four, yes, it has that stuff. Not as much, you know, not as much as like other like really hacky, you know, horror movies have it. And so, you know, here again, I kind of have to regard Halloween 4 as the best of what came after in a a certain sense. So anyway, depending on how you look at it anyway, what came after. So, yeah. And, you know, watching Halloween 4, I don't know why, but for some reason that just kind of put me in the in the mindset of. You know, maybe it's time to finally watch Halloween's five and six, right? So that's what I did. I watched Halloween five, The Revenge of Michael Myers. And this is arguably, you know, because a lot of this really does kind of come down to how you look at it. But arguably, Halloween five is where the Halloween series began really deepening, I guess, the the Myers myth, the shape myth, 
you know, with this subplot of of the thorn, right? And we don't really get a whole lot of explanation of, you know, about the thorn or what the thorn is and all of that. With uh, Halloween 5, it's basically meant to be building up to something else or at least giving, basically fleshing out the world that already existed, perhaps, you know, right here in Halloween 5. And so we don't really get a whole lot of that, but we do far, we, we do start getting our first little tastes that, you know what, there may be more to all of this business with Michael Myers and his ability to survive seemingly fucking everything. And so that's where a lot of that stuff first started. Now, as a horror movie in its own right, I don't think that Halloween 5 is, I, I don't think it's horrible, you know? It's definitely uh, a follow-up to Halloween 4. And, you know, Halloween 5 is, you know, it's been criticized, including by some of the people who made Halloween 5. But Halloween 5 has been criticized as maybe being a little bit too much of a cash grab. It was made perhaps a little bit too soon. And perhaps it didn't have the highest motives involved, you know, perhaps the people making this movie weren't necessarily doing it for love of the game, but rather to capitalize on the resurgence of popularity that the Halloween franchise had experienced courtesy of Halloween four. And, you know, I can kind of understand where a lot of that, a lot of that sentiment is coming from, but you know, I don't know, maybe it's just that when somebody talks so much shit, about how horrible a particular movie is and it's just it's just it's terrible it's the worst hack job that you've ever seen blah 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 you know it's almost like there's no movie that's that bad you know i mean i could probably sit here talking trash about the room and i definitely would poison the well for some of you and i'd bet about half of you if you actually saw the room would say okay this is not a great movie and i'm certainly not you know, justifying it, but man, it's really not as bad as Magnus made it out to be. I mean, I, I guarantee you, there would be probably half of my listening audience, if they had the stomach to watch the room, who who would probably say exactly that. And that's kind of where I was coming from with Halloween 5, where it's like, guys, I went into this thing expecting an abortion of a train wreck of a dumpster fire. And, you know, not here again, not saying the movie is the godfather or anything but it's really not as big a clusterfuck as i guess i was led to believe maybe that's the best way to put it so anyway it it basically features danielle harris reprising her role and it does sort of touch upon something that i don't see i look i mean i'm not a big horror movie guy to begin with anyway but something that you just don't really see or at least i don't really see in horror movies a whole lot is the aftermath of something, you know, where somebody goes through this really horrifying, just totally traumatic experience, and they show up again in the next movie, no problem. And that's not what happens with Danielle Harris in this movie. I mean, like, yeah, she survived Halloween 4, but she's not really the better for that. You know, she's been through some shit, and now she's got the scars to show, like the psychological scars to show for all of that. And I just kind of like that. Now, again, you know, to talk about Danielle Harris's role in this movie is to kind of talk about the sort of deepening of the Myers myth. 
that uh, that these movies were starting to embark upon vis-a-vis the seemingly mental connection that Michael Myers has with Danielle Harris, or at least it it's actually, it's never really clear in the movie. Like, is this a two-way connection? Can Michael Myers see all the same shit that Danielle Harris is seeing? Or is Danielle Harris able to see this stuff, but it's kind of like a one-way mirror, you know? Myers doesn't necessarily know he's being spied upon, you know? And the, like I say, I mean, the... The narrative of the movie doesn't really answer that question with any kind of specificity. So we're just kind of left to wonder about it. But, you know, here again, it's raising a lot of questions about, you know, the supernatural nature of Michael Myers and what exactly underlies all of that. And that is the kind of logical pivot point into Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. And, you know, here again, people talked all different kinds of trash about this movie. And I think in this case, this movie's toxic reputation is a little bit closer to the mark because now we do get a fair amount of jump scare, like the false type of jump scares and all of that stuff. But there are, uh, shall I say it? Um, other, basically the movie, like the other parts of the movie are, here again, we're not exactly talking about high art, but it, you know what? It's pretty good. It's pretty good, you know? Doesn't quite match Halloween 5. Certainly doesn't match Halloween 4. But, you know, on its own merits, it's pretty good. Except that, you know, the the more the movie moves on, the more that we get into this this kind of... I don't even know what to call it. Like a satanic cult or something like that. That basically what they do is they groom children to be serial killers for reasons that I don't even know if the movie tries to explain. And, you know, whatever. I mean, I guess that's kind of interesting. I mean, look, the simple fact of the matter, guys, is if you're going to make a movie about, you know, this unstoppable super killer guy, you know, Michael Myers and all, you know, I mean, you, you can't really make the same shit every single time, you know, in your movie. You do kind of need to broaden the, you need to, I don't know, broaden the myth, I guess. You need to uh, expand on things, you know, a little bit and do some world building. And for better or for worse, Halloween 6 attempts to do this. And you can agree with the creative decisions that are made in this movie, or you can disagree with them. But you know, for the first time, we do actually get a little bit more of a specific answer as to how is it that Michael Myers can get shot, stabbed, burned alive, dropped off of buildings, and God knows what else. And he survives seemingly none the worse for wear, you know? How is that possible? Because, you know, there in a certain sense, you know, it does kind of defy credibility that he's able to to do all of these different things. And so Halloween 6 basically attempts to answer that, you know, and not only answer that, but also uh, give us a little bit of not so much motivation of, you know, the group that's responsible for creating the shape and all of that, but basically give Michael Myers not some humanity, but in fact, if anything, it's to dehumanize him and explain how exactly it it came about that he ended up this way in the first place, right? And so, I I don't know. I, you know, I, this is, this truly is eye of the beholder type stuff. 
you know, it does add a, a kind of an, another two or three layers of, I don't know, uh, like mystique or not, not mystique, like intrigue perhaps that, you know, if Michael Myers is basically engineered and controlled by, you know, the secret society, who are the members of that secret society? You know, who can you trust and who can you not trust? So <clears throat> my main objection with this is that up to this point, the Halloween movies have basically positioned Michael Myers as the absolute supreme ultimate evil. You know, he's the guy. I mean, they come no more evil than him. And in Halloween 6, we discovered no the, the, there is something more evil, I would say, more evil than Michael Myers, and that's the group that controls him, because they are the ones who created him. He, in a certain sense, is kind of doing their bidding. And if you ask me, you know, the monster might be evil, but the monster's creator, that's evil, my friend. And... I don't know. It's, like I say, this either works for you or it doesn't. This whole, you know, cult of the thorn type of thing, that either works for you or it doesn't. It doesn't really work for me. And so, you know, I guess if it works for you, I, you know, it's not really my business to tell you you're wrong. But I just don't see it, you know. That's that's just me. So all of this kind of, I, I don't want to say it gave me a bad taste in my mouth, but, you know, it just, it made me wonder, you know, like, what was it? about the first Halloween movie that just captured so, so many people's imaginations, you know? So I thought, you know what, fuck it. Not only am I going to rewatch the original Halloween, I'm going to rewatch it trying, not in a, like a mean, sarcastic, kind of negative way, but I was going to try to rewatch it as its own sort of standalone piece. Not with anything in mind about Halloween's two, four, five, six, you know, all of the other ones. Just try to watch this thing as its own sort of film by itself and not project any of my own preconceived notions on what I'm seeing in this movie. And guys, I got to tell you, you know, the act of doing that really did. It really did shine a brand new light on this movie that how shocking it must have been in its day. Because, you know, you think about how the movie opened, right? It, it's, it, it's this really long point of view shot that basically ends, you know, the first, I don't know, like five or so minutes of the movie. This really long point of view shot that ends with a murder, right? And it's only when uh, the killer walks out of the front door of the house and he gets unmasked that you realize, oh my God, all of this was... Uh, a point of view shot for a child, all right, for a little boy who killed his own sister. And, you know, just sitting there watching that, it's like right from the start, you know, John Carpenter is basically laying out what it wasn't a completely original idea about, you know, the nature of evil and where it can be found, you know, but it, it was still nevertheless kind of a like a fresh idea, I suppose, that, you know, the the idea that, you know, evil doesn't necessarily uh, 
it's not necessarily this this uh, sinister hunchbacked you know guy that lives in the dark uh, castle on the edge of town at the top of a hill and he's just sitting there all the time <laughs> you know it's it's not always that you know sometimes you know the most dire threats the most evil thing in the world it can be hidden in the most innocuous of places like suburbia and it can be the most innocuous or innocent seeming of suspects like a little uh, a, a little boy a little ele uh, elementary school boy you know and that you know again i mean i'm not trying to you know kiss john carpenter's ass too much here or give him credit for a bunch of shit that you know he really didn't create you know but it's like at the same time this was still kind of a fresh idea for a lot of people especially in the late 70s you know and less so these days you know just the weird times that we live in but at least back then yeah that was a pretty fucked up idea you know and then you just go on and on and on through the movie you know as michael myers is just killing people left right and center and all of that and <clears throat> his perfect opposite all throughout the movie truly is laurie strode you know where you know michael myers is driven by he is truly driven by evil you know he is evil personified Laurie represents, you know, the the good and the pure and the virtuous, you know, and in terms of, you know, just the evil that Michael Myers represents, I think that's why it's so important that we see Michael Myers' face really twice in the movie. First, at the very beginning where uh, he gets unmasked, murdering his sister, you know, by his parents, and then later in the movie, whenever you know, he and Laurie are fighting and struggling against each other, you know, and she unmasks him. It's really important in that moment that even if it's just a glimpse, that we do get a glimpse of Michael Myers's face to understand that this is not uh, a demon or this is not some kind of a faceless monster or something like that. There's a human being under that, uh, under Michael Myers's mask that is, you know, however literally you want to interpret this, he is completely driven by by evil and carnage and bloodshed you know his only imagination is uh or his imagination is bent only towards uh, uh murder and i would say in a certain sense not just murder but murder he's kind of the the uh the sla the movie slasher who plays with his food a little bit you know he I don't want to say that he trolls his victims, but he does kind of fuck with them a little bit. You know, he gives them maybe some false hope that, you know, uh, everything is perfectly okay. Everything's totally normal. Here comes the knife, you know, or they go to hide in what they think is a safe place, except Lori discovers that all of her friends or their bodies, at least uh, all of her friends are dead and their bodies have been stored there. Mike, Michael Myers knows exactly where she is and she's about to join uh, she's about to uh, join her friends. She's going to be just another dead body in the room. You know, I, I don't know that... I mean, yeah, you know, Freddy Krueger, he... He kind of fucks with uh, his, his victims. In fact, he really fucks with his victims. But in terms of, you know, I, like, not the... Uh, this kind of 
surreal sort of paranormal fucking with that Freddy Krueger is famous for. Michael Myers is kind of unique in, in, <clears throat> in this respect, and he is kind of motiveless in uh, uh, John Carpenter's original film, you know? That, you know, even the, the, uh, the Rob Zombie uh, reboot, you know, there's a certain bit of sympathy that, that Michael Myers has from the viewer, just because he's been bullied and kicked around, and I would say even really abused, that no, it doesn't make it okay that he, that he has done what he has done, but other factors shaped him, you know? Whereas in the, the John Carpenter original, there were no factors that shaped him. He is who he is. And one of the things that I, that I want to believe that the filmmakers behind Halloween's five and especially six, you know, they looked around and they saw the Friday, the 13th series where Jason Voorhees is, he is driven in a certain sense, kind of by revenge, you know, for what happened to him and for what happened to his mother, you know, again, that doesn't, that doesn't, make what he does okay but he does have an a he, he does have a motive um freddy krueger he has a motive michael myers didn't really have a motive and how do you keep making movies about this all-powerful killer that doesn't have an obvious and explicit motive that drives them you know and i think the the lack of any obvious motive in the original film is actually one of the parts that's most terrifying about it, you know? There's no obvious abuse that's, that's you know, driven Michael Myers to do the things that he does. You know, there's, there's no sense of revenge that he's taking on others or their analogs, perhaps, the way that Jason Voorhees does. You know, um, he's not... He's not uh, killing people the way that Freddy Krueger would. He's not killing people just to further his own myth and his own um, his own legend, you know, like Freddy Krueger. What we see in John Carpenter's original is a guy that, when you come right down to it, he looks just like anybody else. He lives in a place that's just like anywhere else. And the really the one thing that sets him apart from anyone else is the fact that his only agenda in life is murder. And he is, he is driven only by, you know, evil. That is what's really terrifying, you know, in its place as a standalone movie, you know, John Carpenter's original. And I can kind of understand now why maybe Carpenter doesn't think that this is something that he should come back to. You know, it's not that you can't tell more stories about Michael Myers because you can. Obviously you can. But the, you know, what he had to say about this character, he said it in the original, and I can understand that, you know, this isn't a well that he cares to revisit all that much, just because, you know, how many times can you, can you make, in effect, the same movie, you know? And so, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm crawling inside of John Carpenter's head and trying to understand where he's coming from, you know, because it's not like I know the guy or anything, but I get the idea that, you know, he made the movie, more or less, that he wanted to make with the original, and he doesn't, he doesn't feel any great temptation to um, go back to the well on that, you know? And, you know, just as, just on a, on a technical level, you know, I would say, I mean, it's so obvious 
really to say that, you know, the, the original Halloween movie is clearly the best that's ever been made of all the different Halloween films. You know, it's kind of obvious to say that, but obvious though it may be, it, guys, it's still true. I mean, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, film score that's run through the movie is, you know, it's one of those things that I didn't really think a whole lot about. But I tried to pay special, uh, special close attention to the film score during this latest rewatch of it, and it really, it it really captivated me. You know, how I don't want to say perfect, but just how appropriate every single piece of music was in in all of the different scenes that get played out. You know, the the music is always there, perfectly supporting what's happening on screen, and and perhaps, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it should because John Carpenter is not only the director of the movie, but he, he's also the composer as well. And, but I don't know, I guess I just didn't give this score its full due until this latest rewatch. And yeah, that there's that creepy main title that everybody knows, you know, on the piano and all that. But, you know, even when you move away from that, like the deep cuts on, on the album, on uh, the score are... They're melodic and they're menacing. They're kind of dark and foreboding. And I just kind of like that. You know, I, I, this is a really well done score. And it really, I mean, because if you ask me, especially for a horror movie, what a, what a film score needs to do is it doesn't necessarily need to have these big sweeping themes and motifs and all that stuff. It, it needs to provide a certain kind of you know, ambiance to it. You know, there needs to be an atmosphere that is created by the visuals and then reinforced by the music so that you get this, you, you get the, the complete illusion. And John Carpenter, especially in the original Halloween film, he just makes it look so effortless. You know, I mean, I would almost forgive somebody if if they watch this movie and just how well crafted this thing really is and they think to themselves yeah I could do that well asshole no you can't you know but John Carpenter can because he's just got that kind of vision and talent and I don't know just all around this is hands down my favorite Halloween film and I guess saving this for last you know as I did is maybe that was the right move to make because it gave me a, a an appreciation for the original Halloween that I honestly don't know that I would have ever had before. And, you know, for that reason, just really cherish it now in a way that I didn't before. Now, the timing of this isn't really a coincidence. You know, obviously we're coming up to Halloween, the holiday, but the new Halloween movie came out just a couple of days ago and I've gone, I would say pretty fucking far out of my way to avoid spoilers or any kind of reviews or anything like that. I basically want to walk in it, you know, with this this new Halloween movie. I want to walk in on this thing and be completely surprised by it. You know, like the direction that the that the characters go and the story goes and all that. And you know, I'm I'm kind of at a place with the Halloween films where honestly my canon is only the original movie you know for me that's the only thing that's in canon and everything else is 
uh, I don't know how you want to look at it. It's like it's a what if kind of a story or it's its own parallel universe or or whatever, but I don't really regard the Halloween series as being particularly sacred. It's been sequelized, uh, retconned, rebooted, unbooted. I mean, it's just every possible fucking thing that can that, that you can do has been done to Halloween. And so, you know, going into this new movie, you know, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it, you know, because to me, like I say, the only thing that's in continuity, so to speak, is the original film. Anything else besides that, you know, if it's worth watching, it's worth watching. But, you know, I, I hate to sound like a broken record here, guys, but nothing is ever going to touch the original for me. And so I can enjoy or not enjoy the se the sequels and the remakes and the retcons and the reboots and fucking whatever. I can enjoy those things or not enjoy them. But canon is only the first Halloween movie. And so anything else just isn't... I, I guess I'm just, I'm not bothered if it's, if it's shit. And I'm honestly, I'm not really too thrilled if it's, if it's great. Not that there's been all that much great stuff, but you know, anyway, so there you go. At some point I do, I do think I want to get into a little bit more of a, a deep dive on at least some of the Halloween movies get a little bit more in depth with that. I don't know so much about the original because it's almost like, except for the stuff that I've said here, you know, like, what else is there to really say? But some of these other movies, you know, there's a fair amount to say. So, I don't know. But anyway, so it's just something something to think about. So, I don't know. I guess I'll figure something out. But uh, anyway, so I think that's pretty much it for me for uh, this time. So, bye, everybody. I will see you next time.